What a blessing to have uh, voices like that within our congregation to encourage us in the truthfulness of God being there and watching over each and every one of us. As we come this morning, we are going to continue our study in those that hold in our study of those that hold the office of pastor, elder, and overseer. We continue to see that those God has entrusted with the spiritual care of His church are not perfect. They are not to be regarded as perfect, but rather they are to be examples. They are to be men who indeed show that their lives have been transformed by Jesus Christ so that we might be examples in every way to the church, to the community, and to the world. If they're going to be effective in facilitating the flow of the gospel, then indeed the fulfillment and the fulfillment of the Great Commission by the making of disciples within the context of the local church, they must be men that meet the biblical standard of being above reproach. Now, as we said last week, above reproach does not mean that no charges will be brought against them. But above reproach means when charges are brought against them, they cannot stand. And so we we see that and understand that and we understand that the character the conduct and the competency of the man of God must be indeed uh, a testimony of the transformation and change through the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of their life remember the the list of qualifications is not just for those who are who are mature leaders or overseers within the body. They indeed are a list of qualifications, all of them except for one being indicative of the Christian as an individual. Indeed, every Christian and each of us should be striving to live lives marked by this kind of testimony. Now the question for the mature Christian, especially for pastors that are those who are charged with the oversight and the under-shepherding of the flock, is in the midst of a world gone awry, in the midst of a world gone wrong, in the midst of a culture in chaos, does my character and testimony testify to a life that is submitted and surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? I want you to ask yourself that question this morning. As people see my life in the midst of a world gone wrong, in the midst of a culture in chaos, as people observe how I live and how I display myself in the midst of my life, does my character and my testimony testify to a life that has been submitted and surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Character, after all, is Not just what you do on Sunday morning, but what you do moment by moment. Character is what you do when no one else is looking. Character is what you do in the dark. Character is what you do Monday through Saturday, not just for an hour or so on Sunday morning. Indeed, Christianity is not just a game of charades that we play for a few hours on Sunday morning and then we go away unchanged, but our Sunday morning Faith ought to inform our Monday morning life. Our Sunday morning faith should inform our Monday morning life. In Luke 9.23, Jesus Christ calls His disciples to total surrender and a commitment in every area of life when He says, If anyone desires to come after Me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and do what? Follow Me. How long? All of his life. How much? 
Every hour, every moment, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Indeed, the disciple of Jesus Christ is to be the one that, having heard and received the gospel, lives out a life which, in which virtue is apparent and vices are avoided through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. We are going to have assurance of our salvation to be effective in the work of the gospel, to be witnesses to our community and culture. We must live lives that show and share the power of Jesus Christ to transform a sinner into a saint, not only inside of these doors, but outside of these doors. The faith we claim to have here has no value if we hide it under a bushel. What we do and say and believe and hear when we sing those songs like I believe God that the choir so beautifully sang for us. When we make that confession, I believe God, listen to me and hear me very well. That is to be the example, the model, the testimony of our lives in the midst of our culture. As we come, we need to be mature Christians. And today we are going to close out by seeing the last of the qualifications for elders in God's church. The qualifications for those mature men that might lead the church of the living God. And let us take for ourselves our copy of God's word, this holy scripture, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, as we close out our study in the qualifications of elders in God's church. Let's stand now as we read God's word. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, Free from the love of money, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil? And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil father we come to you now asking that indeed you would work in the midst of our lives that you would deliver us increasingly from sin as we are increasingly conformed to the image of jesus christ our lord Father, we ask now that in the midst of this time, you would take these words, write it up on our hearts. Father, apply it to our lives. And Father, allow us to go out differently than when we came in. Father, we ask now, as always, that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Indeed, in the scriptures, Christ Jesus exercises headship over his church through spiritually mature elders who edify, equip, and shepherd his flock to fulfill gospel ministry. Within the scriptures, just in case you haven't gotten it the last two weeks, hadn't had time to jot it down, this is the third week. Here it goes again. We are still in the same text of scripture, and so it is still telling us the same truths that we have seen the past few weeks. 
Christ Jesus exercises headship over his church through spiritually mature elders, men who edify, equip, and shepherd his flock so that it might fulfill gospel ministry. These men are devoted to facilitating the flow of the gospel in the context of the church, to completing the task of the Great Commission and making disciples there within the church. Indeed, as we saw last week, we close by seeing the virtues that are to be apparent in the life of those who are men of God. Indeed, we saw that an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, and able to manage his household well. This week we come back and we look at the flip side. That was the positive. Now we're going to look at the negatives. Not just the virtues that are to be apparent, but the vices that are to be avoided. And look there in verse 3 and let's go through that text and see there the vices that are to be avoided in the pastor. Indeed, First of all, he comes and he says he is not to be addicted to wine, pugnacious, gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He is not to be addicted to wine. The word here describes a person who sits long with the cup and drinks to excess. Indeed, this person is seen as being controlled by the substance of alcohol combined with the command, clear command from last week to be temperate and self-controlled. Any man who would be addicted to any intoxicating substance would compromise the testimony of himself, his church, and ultimately his Lord, Jesus Christ himself. Therefore, any man who is addicted or controlled or under the reign and rule of an intoxicating substance, instead of being under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ, is ultimately disqualified from the ministry. He is out. There's not any explanation that you can have. He would be in violation of Scripture. He would indeed be one who uh, would know well the saying of Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker and strong drink is a brawler. The one who or anyone who intoxicates himself with these things is not wise. How can he be wise to lead the church? How can he be wise to apply the scriptures faithfully and to teach faithfully if indeed he is drunk? Galatians chapter 5 verse 21 makes it clear that drunkenness is a sin. That being filled to excess with wine or with alcohol is, is indeed a sin. Ephesians chapter 5 18 says, do not be filled with wine, but be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Indeed. We understand that anyone who is under the reign and rule of intoxicating substances instead of the reign and rule of Jesus Christ is compromising the teaching of God's word and ultimately the gospel work of God's church. A few years back at the Southern Baptist Convention, Jerry Sutton gave some uh, very harrowing statistics. He said one in eight that take a drink within our culture eventually become alcoholics. Each day, 7,000 kids under the age of 16 take their first drink of those who are under 14 50 percent will eventually become alcoholics there are over 18 million identified alcoholics within the united states alcohol is indeed the leading cause of death among young people within the united states alcohol causes over 100,000 deaths a year and that's about 400 deaths just this week that alcohol has caused and contributed to in some way, shape, or fashion. Alcohol is a debt, 
is a factor in more than half of all domestic uh, or sexual assaults. And 50% of people who commit violent crimes are at the time under the abuse or use of alcohol. Alcohol, indeed, is responsible for half of all the traffic fatalities within our nation. Indeed, the alcohol industry spends $1 billion a year, over $1 billion a year, to tell you it's okay, just come have a sip and sit down to excess at the bottle. Listen, is it clear that it is okay for Christians to have a sip of alcohol? Yes. The Bible contains no prohibition and truthfulness as a pastor causes me to have to say the Bible does not prohibit the use or the drinking, the consumption of alcohol. But hear me well. Wisdom says that we ought to consider it before we ever partake of it. We ought to consider the cost before we ever partake of it. Wisdom concerning the character and witness of our lives says that abstinence is the best approach so that we might show that we are truly surrendered to Jesus Christ and His Lordship and not a substance within this world. I have never met in my life the first drunk who did not have his first drink. Think about that for a moment. I've never met the first drunk who did not have his first drink. Why? Because he has chosen to bring himself under the lordship and sovereignty of Jesus Christ and not under the things and substances of this world. Any form of lowered inhibitions that leads you to compromise God's ways, God's will, and God's word is to be intensely battled against. And the pastors, the elders, the those who are charged with the ministry of the church are to be examples and they are not to be under the influence of intoxicating substances. Number two, they are not to be pugnacious strikers or fighters. Doesn't look like he's one who does not look for a fight so that he can pick a fight just for fun. In fact, uh, Charles Spurgeon told his young preacher boys, don't go about the world with your fists doubled up uh, looking for fights, carrying a theological revolver in the leg of your trousers. You ever met a pastor like that? Always wanted to fight about each and everything. Indeed, an elder must control his anger so that he doesn't just haul off and deck the guy in which he might be currently talking. He's not a man who is prone to violence outside of the home or within the home. He is not a man who hits his wife or beats his children. He uses control as he disciplines his children with grace. There is no place in the Christian home or within the Christian life for physical violence when our Lord said clearly within the Sermon on the Mount that we are to do what? Turn the other cheek. A man of God will not be known for his physical violence. In the midst of a culture where there are hot issues and hot debates all the time, it is very helpful and beneficial not to have a hothead for a pastor, isn't it? It is. There's just wisdom there. One whose emotions don't run rampant in the midst of their response. That's what we look for. Thirdly, we see that he is also to be gentle, patient, and fair. In other words, he does not demand his own rights in the midst uh, in regards to others, but he rather regards others highly and humbly so that he might handle them with the same grace and goodness that God has dealt with him 
in. As we look at that, we understand that he is to be gentle, he's to be patient, he's to be fair. And each of us understand exactly what that means. And though we understand it, we often have a difficult time practicing it. But this is the standard. He is to be a man who is known within the church and without, outside of the church as a man who is gentle. He's patient. He's not jumpy. Fourthly, he is peaceable. He's peaceable. The New American Standard that I'm reading from is the word peaceable. But if you look at it in the Greek context, it would be better translated not quarrelsome or not a fighter, not a brawler. The Greek term here is a makos. And if you looked at that Greek term today in the way that I have spelled it out, it would be A-M-O-C-H-O-S. Immediately you know this isn't a macho man. That's what he's saying. This is not a man who pursues to enforce his rights and his position and power and authority by force. An elder should not get into fruitless quarrels, whether they're over theology or anything else. He's not to be a spiritual bully or an angry man. Rather, he reflects the love of God in his word and in his work. He's to be reflecting the love of God. And so he's not to be a brawler, not to be quarrelsome, not to be a fighter. But finally there in verse 3, he's not to be a lover of money. The Bible has much to say about money, and it definitely does not teach or say what the prosperity gospel preachers on TV say that it says when they stand up and say, God wants every Christian to be rich. He wants every Christian to be prosperous. That's not the testimony of the Bible. But understand, the Bible doesn't say the money is evil. It says the love of money is evil. It's not wrong to have riches. But when the riches have you instead of you having the riches, that's when a problem comes up, isn't it? Indeed, Paul warns in chapter 6, verse 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Every Christian, especially the men who lead the church, must be clear that you cannot serve God and money at the same time. We serve God and we use the money He provides for us. What did I say? We serve God And we use money, right? Yes, no, I don't. Yes, we serve God, we love God, we are devoted to Him, and we use the money. We don't use God and serve money, we serve God and use money. And so indeed, we need to understand uh, that He is a man that seeks first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added unto Him. But listen, He's content with whatever God has provided at whatever station of life He is presently at. If you find a man who is on TV selling uh, no evil oil or water that he has blessed, Or handkerchiefs that he has prayed over. Run as far and as fast as you can. The man is a huckster and a false prophet. Run away. The man of God loves money more than he loves people. There's a problem. Look for men who are not lovers of money. Suppose this morning we were to make a character 
caricature of someone who was consumed with these vices. And what if we had someone within the church here at Adamsville that was named Bubba? I, I would go with Bill, but we have too many Bills here this morning. I always compare people to Betty, Bill, and Bubba. But this morning, if we just had a Bubba, I don't think there are any Bubbas here. Thank goodness. Uh, I know we are in the South and there's a great temptation to have them here. But if we had a guy named Bubba and he was just sitting here and we would go out into the community next week and we would go down the street and we would ask the people in the community would say, hey, do you know Bubba? And they'd look at us and say, you mean Bubba, the one that goes to the local watering hole all day, every day? Uh, uh, For those of you in the South, local watering hole, just another word for bar. Goes down to the bar. And he drinks all day. He sits in the bar all day. Oh, yeah, we know Bubba. Well, well, tell me a little bit about Bubba's life. Well, see, Bubba comes in every morning and he is enamored. He is locked on. He is obsessed with the TV. And he's just sitting there all day, every day, watching the financial channels. And he's watching the financial channels because he is just obsessed and consumed with his financial portfolio. And not only that, but listen, when Bubba's sitting there... The only regular thing that can draw Bubba away from watching the financial channel is when uh, Bubba wants to order another drink, another round, so that he can drink himself further into a stupor because there's just more bad news coming out all the time about the financial market. And Bubba, you know, the only thing that he loves more than drinking and watching the financial channel is occasionally somebody will come in and he will get into an argument with Bubba. He'll start arguing and Bubba... Bubba has to prove his superiority. And so he's always consumed with making sure everyone else knows just how much he knows. And Bubba, not only that, but Bubba, the only thing, occasionally this happens, not very often, but occasionally when Bubba is drinking and he's arguing and he's watching the financial channel, occasionally somebody, a fight will break out and Bubba jumps in the middle of it. Bubba takes his fist and he beats him. He takes his bottles and he beats him. He cracks him over the head with a chair. Why in the world do you want to know about Bubba? Well, we were thinking about making him an elder at our church. No way. No way. The person's testimony is not in accord with Jesus Christ and the work that he has done. The fact that he has set us free from the power, not just the penalty of sin, but the power of sin in our life. Indeed, we are to be men and women who are known because we are controlled by the living Savior and not the stuff of this world. Indeed, these vices were present in Paul's day and they are present in our day as well, aren't they? It's very practical when you look at that, isn't it? Huh. What should a man of God be who is going to serve within the church? Here you go. He's not to be addicted to wine. He's to be gentle. He's not to be a striker, not to be a lover of money. But rather, he is to be a person whose life testifies to the transformational work, to the change in his life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The earthbound, earthbound desires of these earthly vices clip the wings of the eternal testimony of God's glory and grace revealed in the gospel witnesses of our lives. 
the earthbound desires, if we give ourselves over to these earthly vices, they clip the wings of the eternal testimony of God's glory and grace revealed in the gospel witness of our lives. And so we must never yield ourselves to these earthly vices, but rather to the eternal virtues that are provided there in verse 2. Indeed, we are to be set apart to exercise spiritual authority under the authority of Jesus Christ in the local church, and our lives are to show that we are filled with the virtues that are apparent from verse 2 and not the vices that are to be avoided from verse 3. But secondly, this morning, we see that the value of a godly reputation for the gospel. In verses 6 and 7, we see the value of a godly reputation for the gospel. Paul closes this section this morning uh, and this section within Scripture of qualifications for overseers and pastors with very practical pieces of advice. First of all, he says the, the pastor, the overseer, the elder is not to be a new convert lest he should become conceited and entrapped in the snares that the devil has set up for him. Indeed, a new convert could not have had the time to develop these qualities and have been observed in consistent and constant commitment to them within the church and within the culture. So don't don't just put anybody in there. Put men who have displayed that they are fully surrendered and submitted to Jesus Christ. The process of sanctification and the process of becoming a solid scriptural student takes time. And this is the common error within our day. We immediately push those who may be well known. Those who may have come from a background that that gives them a powerful uh, pulpit or platform. We immediately push them into the limelight as soon as they have converted to Christianity. We push out movie stars and musicians, athletes business executives but listen paul says don't do it don't just take somebody who is popular don't just take somebody who has a platform you take a pastor who is what who has good conduct who has good character and who is competent according to jesus christ Indeed, the person who is put in that position will become conceited, puffed up or clouded with smoke and fall into the condemnation that is incurred by the devil himself. Spiritual pride is a subtle but serious sin. And when a man who is elevated into a position of spiritual leadership too quickly grows proud, he will fall from that position. And when a giant tree falls in the midst of the forest, it takes out many little ones as well, doesn't it? Indeed, no one within the military ranks would say that an airman's first day on the job, he should be a general, would he? Yes? No? All the Air Force guys are going no. (laughs) Definitely not. Why? Because it takes time to progress to that point. In verse 7, the elder also is to have a good reputation, not just in the church, but out of the church, in the community. He's to have a good report, a good testimony. He should be recognized in the community as a man of moral character and proper conduct. His business dealings must be with honesty and integrity in every way. This should be true of all Christians, but especially of leaders. Non-Christians should never be able to bring the charge of hypocrite against a church 
leader. Indeed, many non-Christians will malign us because of our godly behavior. They will slander us because our lives of godly living indeed convict them of the sin in their own life. But never, never, never should our lives be the cause of reproach for those outside of the church. The gospel is offensive enough. I don't need to add to it. That's what he's saying. The gospel tells you that in the midst of a world who wants to earn salvation, earn their way to heaven, please God by what they do, the gospel says you can't do anything to save yourself. You need to rely fully on Jesus Christ. That is enough of an offense. I don't need to make it one in my, through my own actions. Secondly, I, I would just want to say for a second, for a very, very brief second here, the fact that we need to understand that in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our testimony, when we come to deal with that statement in verse 2, that he is to be a one-woman man, the husband of one wife, I want to tell you the real qualifier for the one man, one woman man, is this statement of good reputation outside of the church. There's much contention and debate over his character th- from what has gone on within his life, his moral purity, his physical purity in relationship to his wife. Listen, he must be of good report with those outside the church, not one who they can throw stones at and point and say, you see him, he's a hypocrite. Doesn't live it out. Part of Christian growth involves God teaching us humility through time and trials so that we might know we are to rely on his power and not our own. A recent convert has not yet learned that lesson and his testimony will be subject to many snares set by the devil to discredit the Christian, the church, and Jesus Christ. We need to understand in the midst of this time, it's a little bit like the old Far Side uh, comic book illustration. When I, when I read it, I think I was in ninth or 10th grade, something like that, and I I remember there was a deer and he had a birthmark that was a target right on his chest. The other deer looked at him and said, bummer of a birthmark, man. Pastors, you're marked men. The devil is going to put special, special temptations in your path to try to destroy and deter and distract you from the ministry of the gospel. And we need to understand that. Paul Simon says it well when he, uh, in his song, You Can Call Me Al, says, I don't want to be a cartoon living in a cartoon graveyard. I don't want to be a cartoon, end up a cartoon in a cartoon graveyard. And yet many a minister and many a ministry has been buried in the tombs of oblivion and obscurity because there was no gravity given to the words of wisdom to value a good and godly reputation and to make sure that the person is a consistent, committed Christian in every area of life. And the stories and the newspapers and the TV reports are absolutely full of stories that have been disgraces. To the Christian, to the church, and to Jesus Christ himself. We need to understand that it is much more important for us to live godly before godly lives than it is just to be good communicators as pastors. 
We want to communicate the gospel. Listen, the first qualification is that our character, our conduct, and our competency reflect Jesus Christ. An official of a mission board who knew that it took more than just desire to be a missionary was appointed to examine a candidate. He told the young man to arrive at his house at 6 in the morning. After the man arrived at 6 in the morning, he promptly relieved himself, went back upstairs, and laid down for four hours. After four hours of not attending to the man, he finally came down the stairs and began to interrogate the young man. Can you spell? Can you spell God? Yes, sir. I can I can spell God. Can calmly came the answer Uh, again he asked can you write your name do you even know what your name is yes sir I know exactly what my name is and I can write it properly he put him through a series of questions of all sorts that seemed to be just totally insane for a person considering the position of missionary and then he went back to the missionary board and the examiner said this this young man will do I tried his patience for four hours and then I began to ask him questions attempting to break him down I insulted him and I did everything that I possibly could to torture him and to turn him and to get him to show me the real side of him and nothing came out except for the love of Jesus Christ this young man's character and qualifications are impeccable because he is truly changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ he will do you want a pastor Find a pastor who reflects the character, the conduct, and the competency of Jesus Christ. And he will do. The way to prove that is by seeing them through all of the abuses. Answer them with patience, a fortitude, a gentleness that cannot be violated. Indeed, when we see that character come out, we understand that that person is dependent upon Jesus Christ. Indeed, Jesus Christ has conquered and changed his heart and that Christianity has now made him what he is and he is vindicated in the quality of his character. Such a Christian causes men to stand and to say all around Listen, there's got to be something to this gospel. Just look at the life he lives. What about you this morning? When people look at your life, do they stand and say, there's got to be something to the truthfulness of the gospel. Just look at how he lives. Look at how she lived. Look at what they're doing. When we are tempted to farm in the fields of the flesh, to live in the things of this world, the true Christian will live under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ, and he will show the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, his life will testify to the truthfulness of the gospel and the transformation from sinner to saint. Indeed, when we look at the life of the Christian, it is not to be fleshly. It is to be filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, those who aspire to this position. God has changed and transformed some of you he is increasingly conforming you to the image of jesus christ and he is calling you to step out not necessarily just to go uh, be a full-time pastor 
But to be an, a leader, an elder, an overseer, or a pastor within this flock in the lay capacity. The question is, are you walking in his word? Are you being conformed to his image? Are you consistently day by day through prayer and study in his word growing in godliness? You should be shepherding your own family well, setting an example in your own home. You should be taking advantage of every opportunity to serve God's people, to build caring relationships with others that with the goal of setting them, uh, seeing them become mature in the faith. In other words, the church should not recognize or put a man into the office of elder so that he can serve he should be put into the office of elder pastor overseer because he's serving that's the right order indeed we need men who desire this fine work of oversight in this flock i pray that some of you will aspire to that work and that as we go through the coming years that we'll see many of our men mature in the faith step out and step up and start to lead in a godly manner so that we might facilitate the flow of the gospel, fulfill the Great Commission, and make disciples. You can respond to this message in one of two ways. You can run for cover and run for fear because you see yourself and you say, you know what, I'm not qualified because of this list. I'm not living the life that God would want a mature Christian to live. But let let me say this, don't run for cover. Run to the cross. So that Jesus Christ might cleanse you by the work that he has done. See, God made you for a right relationship with him in the beginning. He had everything rightly ordered between God and man. And yet man rejected and reviled his commands. He transgressed his law. He sinned against the living God by not doing what God had commanded him to do. And because of that, there was punishment that came upon man. The punishment was death. And the wages of sin is death. But there was more to the story. In the midst of death ruling and reigning over those who had transgressed God's law and broken His commandments, God offered His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect and pure life that you could never live and I can never live so that when He went to the cross of Calvary, there on the cross, as He hung in between God and man, He made payment, payment in full, for the penalty of sin. He bore the penalty of your sin and my sin on the cross so that in Him, indeed we might know freedom and when he went to the grave he went into that grave but praise God that two day, three days later he wo- woke up he rose up he came out in power in victory conquering sin death and hell and because he lives I can live because he has delivered he delivered his son to suffer for our sins. He has now broken the power of sin in our lives if we will repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus Christ. You want to be a man who is able to lead, who is able to show and to share the gospel through their life? Listen, you surrender and submit yourself fully to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You want to be a woman that has a great influence within her family, within her life, within her friends, within her neighborhood. You surrender fully to Jesus Christ and his lordship. And he'll do two things. He'll cleanse you from the penalty of sin and he'll break you. He'll break the power of sin in your life. And from that point forward, 
you will be a wonderful example to the world of the fact that God has now changed everything, not through who you are and what you've done, but through Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done. Father, today we come and we lay ourselves at the foot of the cross. We ask that your hand would be upon us. That you would...